we needed something like 16,000 to break the world record. So I remember sitting there and I could see on the screen how many people were in this YouTube waiting room waiting for me to start. And it was about 10 minutes before and there was something like 2,000 people in there and I was thinking, oh God, I've given this the big build up and it's just gonna fail miserably. And then literally in the five minutes before, then it was like a, it was like a film or something. The numbers just went and they went up to something like 60,000 in that five minutes. I just pictured the Emirates Stadium, which is 60,000 people, full of people watching me do this live drawing in my little shed in the garden. And then you start to think, I don't know, can I do this? Hi and welcome to another video talks. Um, I've got a bit of a cold, so excuse the weird voice. Um, we talk to creators, commissioners and everyone in between about the business of video. So this podcast is for anyone who's getting into video, anyone who is a filmmaker, creator, anyone who's got a business uh, and they want to market um, that business using video. There's loads of brilliant tips from tons of different guests over the series so check back at previous episodes and you'll find something that you like I guarantee it as I say on every episode if you're here for the first time please hit subscribe so we can keep those episodes coming into your feed uh, you can connect with me on instagram at andy.greenhouse or video talks podcast and on linkedin uh, andy greenhouse Okay, so without further ado, let's get into this week's episode, which is an interview with Rob Bidolf. This is episode 19. Rob is uh, an illustrator and book author. Um, he was a magazine art director, but made the leap a few years ago. And he's really harnessed social and YouTube to grow his influence and his following. And particularly over the lockdown period of 2020 he's found a a new kind of lease of life on youtube and youtube live specifically he does this thing called hashtag draw with rob which uh, encourages kids to get drawing so he's going to talk about that how that all happened how he broke a world record for the world's biggest art class and plenty more insights um, about his practices, how video works for him, and how he thinks that every business should have a video presence. So if you like this interview, then you want to hear more from Rob. Uh, my other podcast, Square One, which is S-C-W-A-I-R, covers some of his kind of productivity practices, how he really got started and all the stuff that we couldn't quite fit into this episode. So check out that. Um, it should be out soon, but keep checking back because uh, Square One is a work in progress. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Run VT. Okay, let's get started. I'm really excited to introduce my guest today, Rob Bidolf. Rob, are you ready to talk video? I certainly am, Andy. I'm ready to go. Brilliant. Rob is an award-winning author and illustrator who has increasingly used video to connect with his ever-growing audience. Having already caused a storm on social media with his hashtag packed lunch post-its, Google it, and behind-the-scenes book development, during the UK lockdown, 
Rob came up with the idea of teaching kids how to draw live online to help relieve many people's homeschooling stresses. He found a lot of grateful parents. Uh, his Draw With Rob campaign, hashtag Draw With Rob, I should say, grew exponentially and led to not only a Draw With Rob book, already published and no doubt another bestseller, but also a Guinness World Record for the biggest audience for a live art class ever. I think you can either correct me or... No, that's right. That's right. Is that right? Yeah. Via YouTube. Uh, Before turning to illustration full-time, Rob had already established himself uh, as a super talented designer and art director, winning awards and steering the visuals for some of the UK's most iconic mags. Remember Just 17, Sky, NME... And before the leap to illustration, The Observer magazine. I'm really excited to delve into the story behind how he got started in illustration and how video has helped him grow his audience. Uh, Rob, so I've given our audience uh, a bit of a background about what you do. Um, If you could sort of fill in the gaps and let us know a bit more about your work, your business and your personal life. All right, okay, I will do well. First of all, I should probably say that me and Andy, we go back quite a long way, don't we? We both worked for magazines um, back in the day. We both worked at a company called EMAP. Uh, Andy was on, I first met you on More magazine. Is that right? You were on More? That's right. When I was on, and I was on Just 17, 17. as Andy mentioned. Um, And uh, yeah, it was great. It was a great, uh, we were talking a bit before we started recording and it was a great time to be working in magazines. It was all very exciting. There was lots of money around. Lots of people were buying magazines and it was, it was a fabulous place to be. And I had a, I guess it was a nearly 20 year career in magazines, you know, straight, pretty much straight out of uni. I started working for Just 17. And then as Andy said, but basically it's like lots of other creative industries. Once you kind of get on the conveyor belt, uh, of the industry, um, you sort of move up through it pretty quickly. And so I, I did. I rose from junior designer to art director of Just 17 in about three, four years, something like that. And then I moved on to another magazine called Sky Magazine, which I think Andy mentioned, which was a kind of unisex style magazine for slightly older, older kids. And then I went to the enemy and, you know, and, you know, it's a, it's a really lovely industry to be in because the skill sets are pretty much the same wherever you work, but the subject matter changes hugely. And so as a creative person, it's a really fulfilling, as you know, Andy, it's a really fulfilling kind of industry to work in. Um, and by the time I got to the, um, observer, because basically until I got to the observer, I, I thought, I thought, this isn't really like a proper job. This is just like being at university. You know, there was lots of parties, lots when I was at the enemy, lots of gigs to go to, that kind of thing. And it just felt like we were having fun. And, you know, in the course of that having fun, we'd sort of produce a magazine every week. You know, it really was like that. Um, and then I sort of hit 30 and I became a dad. Well, I was a bit older, actually, maybe 32. Um, I became a dad and I thought, right, I sort of need to get a proper job and so that's when I went to the Observer newspaper I'd read the Guardian my whole life and um and the Observer too and the job came up on the magazine and I went to the Observer as art director the magazine as art director and I got there and I was like ah, oh, so this is this is where all the grown-ups are this felt like a grown-up job now it felt very different actually to the rest of my magazine career and um and that was a really that was another nice kind of gear shift for me at the time the thing that art directors of magazines really like to do is redesigns, I guess, you know, that's when you get to put your own stamp on the magazine and you get to kind of throw everything away and start again. And that's when a lot of the real creativity comes to the fore. 
And I had done, I've done, as I'm sure you have, lots and lots of redesigns in my time. And I think when I was on the Observer, so I was there for nine years at the Observer, I probably did about four redesigns just on that one magazine. And um, it was getting to the point where it just left me feeling sort of, I, I love my job. I love the people. And again, working with the photographers and everything was really great. But I just felt I wasn't, didn't feel creatively fulfilled. And at that point, my kids were, um, my two youngest were sort of three and six or something like that. And was reading a lot of picture books to them, bedtime stories. And back in back when I was at university, I'd done quite a lot of illustration. In fact, I started out wanting to be a fine artist. It was just in the course of my, uh, throughout my degree course, I sort of suddenly thought, actually, I might need to earn some money at some point. So I switched over to graphic design. And that's how I ended up working in magazines. But I'd always illustrated a lot for whatever magazine I think you mentioned, for whatever magazine I worked for, I would illustrate for that magazine as well. But when I started reading all these picture books to the kids, I remembered I did a mod, I must have done a module or something at university in children's illustration. I thought I really loved it when I was at uni. Plus, I think I'd done a bit of writing on some of the magazines I worked on. I think I saw, so I thought to myself, I think I can probably write. I'm, I want to have a go at least at writing a picture book story and illustrating it and see what see what happens. So I thought, right, if I write and illustrate my own story, I have control over everything and, you know, we'll see what happens. Who knows? I didn't know anything about publishing, didn't know anything about how it worked, how you got a book onto the shelves. Um, so it was a steep learning curve for me. But it started out, I wrote the story quite quickly. One of my kids came up with a little idea and I thought, well, that might work. So I wrote the story. Um, I was slightly, I wasn't very confident with with the writing, so I decided to write in rhyme. I thought I can sort of hide behind the mechanics of a rhyme. Um, and and I found myself able to do it quite well, you know, and, you know, the right, if you're writing in rhyme for children, the rhyme has to be perfect, the timing has to be perfect, all that kind of thing. And I'm quite sort of anal person like that, so I kind of found myself suited to it. So I wrote it, illustrated it. A friend of ours, one of the one of the parents at school, knew an agent. I knew you had to get an agent before you submit to a publisher. Um, and she knew this agent, so I sent it to this agent, and she literally rang up straight away. Oh my god, we love it! Well, I sent you know sent a bottle of champagne to our, the person who introduced us. I went to meet her, and it was fantastic. I thought this is easy. I'm going to be. I'll have a book out in six months' time. Anyway, didn't work like that. I worked with her on the manuscript for about a year on and off. And then she turned around. She was great, but she turned around and said, basically, her boss didn't want to get into the picture book market after all. So sorry, but see you later. So that was a bit of a, that was a bit of a downer. Anyway, found another agent again, straight away. Fanfare. We love the work. Blah, blah, blah. Everyone really liked what I was doing. Um, this time I got in the room with publishers, most of the big publishers in London, you know, Penguin. Random House, they were separate at the time. Simon & Schuster, all the big publishers I was in the room with, all of them liked the story. But I think by this time I'd written another story as well. All of them liked it, but I just could not get that book over the line. And in fact, I ended up right on the cusp for about three years. And um, at several points I thought about, actually, I can't. It's quite difficult when you're so close. It must be like... I sort of liken it to being a really amazing footballer, but never, ever getting picked up by anyone above the conference. So it was very frustrating. And then in the end, what I did, I pressed the reset button one more time, stopped doing it totally for six months. Then I changed my agent um, and I uh, got in touch, just Googled 
kids literary agents just thought I just really want to start again from scratch and um, I got in touch with my current agent whose name is Jodie Hodges at United Agents in London went in to see her and that's when everything changed for me really because she she liked the books that I already had she said to me um, can you just put put together a portfolio of children's book staples so draw a picture of you know some dragons draw a picture of some pirates draw a picture of you know fairy tale kind of scene all that kind of stuff and we'll take that out as well when we go and see the publishers and what happened was I in the course of that I drew a page full of animals little animal designs I can't even remember doing it and then two or three of the publishers that we went to see about a different book saw this picture of some penguins that I did and really liked them and said, can you come up with a story for the, these characters? So I wrote a story in about a week and drew about six of the spreads, something like that. Went back and then literally, so I think I'd spent about four years trying to get published at this point, four and a half years. And literally the next day, offers started coming in from publishers, all these publishers for book contracts. And so, and in the end... I sort of had my pick of the publishers really in the end and I went for HarperCollins um, because I really liked their list, the other artists they had on the on the uh, on their books and um yeah and the rest is the rest is history really and uh because my first book the book, the penguin book, uh became my first book which was called Blown Away, um, which luckily won the Waterstones Children's Book Prize, which is a prize for people writing their first, second or third books, I think. Um, but what's brilliant about it is you get your book in the window of every single Waterstones in the country for a month if you win the prize, which I did. And it won the overall, it won the illustrated book prize and the overall prize, only the second book ever to do it. And um, so it meant my career just got off to this amazing start and everybody sort of in the industry suddenly knew who I was straight away, which doesn't, you know, there's lots of really brilliant authors and illustrators out there who have published lots of books but not necessarily aren't that well known but I had this just amazing start and it's all down to luck it's all down to you know me just happening to draw this little picture of of a penguin you know and so yeah and then after that um, I carried on working at the Reserver for about three years while I did my first three books I was doing both things alongside each other which was tough because it was working every evening pretty much every weekend so it's tough on my wife you know Ali it was tough on Ali and we had three kids and um it was very difficult but I um you know it was we knew we were working towards something at some point I was hopefully gonna make the jump you know because it's quite scary especially when you've got a good job like I had you know I was art director from the Observer magazine it's one of the nicest design jobs there is and you know it felt strange to be voluntarily (laughs) leaving that particularly at the time you know in terms of the economy at the time and all that sort of stuff but but in the end um I did I took the plunge and um ever since then it's um it's just gone from strength to strength and um yeah I've now I'm just my 10th book is about to come out whoa amazing well that's your basically your career in a nutshell that's in a nutshell just talking about the mindset behind that kind of you know the decision when you finally made the jump so basically when i first was signed up by harper collins it was a three book contract and then it became clear they wanted to extend that so they offered me another three book deal and so i thought right this is the time to do it you know i've got i know what i'd be doing for the next you know couple of years you know it was kind of planned out and um and so i took i took it's still a risk you know you never know you don't know how how these things are going to go but I was sort of felt established enough that I could probably 
I could probably keep it keep it going. Um, because another thing you have to do when you sign your book deal is about a month after I sign my deal, they basically your publisher calls you in and says, right, you've got to go out on the road and do all the publicity stuff, which basically means developing an act and getting up on a stage uh, festival and talking to, you know, sometimes thousands of kids and adults, you know, and doing a little act, doing an hour's performance. And at the beginning, that absolutely terrified me. But soon, once I started doing it, I actually found I really enjoyed it. And actually, bizarrely, was quite good at it because I'd never been that guy at school who was, I never was in any of the drama productions or anything like that. I hated being up on stage. But actually, I really love it. I really love it now because I guess I know if you're if you're up talking about something that you know about, it's what's what is there to be nervous about? And I always do a bit of drawing. That's where draw with Rob. We'll talk about that in a minute. But that's where it came from. You know, I stand up on stage and I do a drawing either with a visualizer or a big old, you know, one of those flip chart things. I do a drawing, draw along drawing with the kids on stage. So that's where it all started. But yeah, so um, I was doing that as well, you know, so I had the books, I had a decent following and I was doing all the festivals, Edinburgh, Cheltenham, Bath, you know, the big literary festivals. So I knew I'd built up a decent enough following and I had a fair, fair old headwind behind me. So I knew there was a good chance that it would work. I wondered if there were, you know, to turn your kind of book following into um into a, a digital following or a kind of you know social media following i mean obviously there's a certain amount of organic um you know there's a they kind of go hand in hand was did, did you when you were kind of making the break or the jump on you know third book making the ju- jump to full-time illustration did you kind of go all in with you know self-promotion um uh, because I think you're really good at that, and I think that's w- one of the reasons why, you know, video has been, you know, you've kind of har- harnessed video so well, which we'll tap into in a, in a in a while. But I just wondered if you had thought at that time, oh, I need to up my game now. I probably I don't re- remember specifically sitting down and thinking that, but I I knew straight as soon as I got the book deal, I knew how important social media was and self promotion was because. You do have a publicity machine from your publisher behind you, but you do definitely, definitely need to promote yourself too. And we're lucky that we've got social media in a way because, you know, I don't know how people did it 20 years ago, really. And it's only, and I, you know, my, my numbers crept up, crept up, crept up. Um, I think I got to about 10,000 followers or something on Twitter. Um, and then, all the draw with Rob stuff happened back in March and then suddenly it just went, it went much, much bigger. But, um, I've definitely learned how to get better at it. Um, and it's quite, it's, it can be tricky because you do feel like you're just talking about yourself all the time. But then for us, for somebody like me, it is a publicity tool. It is part of my job, you know, but then sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll go and go to the pub with, well, you know, those days. Remember those days when you used to be able to go to the pub? Not really. But, it's a long time. I can't really. It's funny. But, um, yeah, occasionally I sort of go to the pub with friends and they say, oh, my God, you're on bloody Facebook all the time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry. But, you know, it's part of my part of my job. But the whole video side of things is, a, is all new to me, really. I mean, I did bits and I've done bits and pieces in the past, but um, putting myself out there sort of front and centre is, is, is all quite new to me. So, um yeah, it's a learning curve, isn't it? Well, it is, yeah. And it kind of brings me nice, seg- segues nicely into um, my question, which is this podcast is called Video Talks. 
So can you give our audience an idea of how video works for you and your business? Okay, well, uh, until the pandemic, the way that I used video mainly was I'd make little I'd make little animated trailers for my books. So I would do that myself, just make little gifts or little bits and pieces. And I'm by no means, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing really. I just kind of put it together and I'd stick a bit of music on it and I'd just make a little, you know, 30 second or minute long trailer um, and stick that up online. That was really all I did apart from, you know, there was the odd, there was interviews. I did the odd interview, odd little bits of TV here and, here and there. Um, uh, yeah, I've been on, you know, Peter. I'm the World Book Day illustrator as well, so that opened up quite a few doors. So I did some TV interviews and, you know, that kind of thing, um, and recorded a few kids' programs, bits and pieces, but not stuff that I was necessarily doing myself. But you sort of get to know when, you know, when that stuff goes live on social media, you can sort of see the impact it has when you're personally talking to people. They can see you talking. You know, it does make it is, it, it does connect with people in a totally different way. Um, and the other way that I would use video is when I'm doing my book events, my presentations, you know, up on a stage at Edinburgh or, you know, uh, Hay Festival, something like that. I would quite early on, I realized I didn't want to just be standing up there on stage on my own. Even if I did have my flip chart behind me, I, I needed some, something on a screen to, to interact with and to work with. So I was quite good early on at uh, sort of put I just mainly I did it in PowerPoint really I just had a sort of slideshow but with little bits of animation here and there just to kind of um, ramp up the, exp- the experience for the people who are in the theatre um, and I honestly think that comes from our magazine background this is why our training from a, from I think from um, from a creative person's point of view working on magazines which is basically it's all about thinking thinking about everything from the consumer's point of view isn't it you know when we make a magazine cover first of all we start with a cover and you know you one of the one of the um one of the one of the mantras of magazine world is that you can't you know you can't over promise on a cover you can only under deliver on on the content so you know you think about your magazine from that very first moment that somebody sees it on the shelf and then and then it's all about how people navigate through that magazine you're always thinking about it from the reader's point of view. And so I think I came into this industry with a massive advantage over lots of other people because I was thinking about everything from the reader's point of view. And that translated not only to the design of my books and the covers of my books, which I do do it all myself, which is quite unusual, I think, but that's my background, you know, but also to the live experience as well. So I would think about how somebody sitting in the audience would see me come onto the stage and then see how I interact with the screen. So I'd have lots of nice little bits and pieces with the visuals on the screen. But then um, pandemic struck and I realised um, lots of... I remember sitting at home. It was just before the official lockdown started in March. And I was sitting at home on a Sunday evening watching the news with Ali, with my wife. And um, and it sort of became apparent that... In the next week or two, there was going to be lots of children stuck at home with their parents. Look, and their kids. I mean, I've got three kids. I know how difficult the summer holidays can be. Believe you me. And so I thought it's going to be really tricky. These kids are going to be looking for something to do. I can just put one of my. I can do one of my draw-alongs. I can stick it up in, on a video and stick it up online a couple of times a week. It might just give. I was mainly thinking about the parents, to be honest. So it might just give parents, you know, an hour, an hour's respite, a couple of times a week. And I'd done, I had dabbled in video before, back in 2016, 
I'd done a couple of draw with, I called them draw with Rob videos, where it was just a, I bought, you know, an arm for my phone. I put my phone above my desk and I put the piece of paper down and I just did some drawings of my characters. So yeah, sitting there on that Sunday, I just thought I'm going to revive that idea. Um, I'll do it in a bit, I'll do it a bit more like I do with my live events. So I will talk kids through exactly how to do this sort of stuff. And I, there and then on my sofa, I got one of those old videos that I'd done and I put it up as a little teaser, like there and then, and said, "What? I'm thinking of doing this, what do you reckon? And honestly, I just got this biggest reaction I've ever got to any post on social media. People just went crazy for it, just from this little teaser. So I thought, right, I've really got, I better do this now. So the Monday I went in and I recorded the first video. I, th- I Again, thinking about it from the consumer's point of view, I thought, they're not going to want to see me. I don't want to really want to put my face on the screen. It's not about me. It's just about the drawing. So I just did the top-down shot. I made a little theme. I thought I might as well make a little theme tune. I found some music online. I made a little animated kind of title sequence. Um, and I just recorded myself drawing this dinosaur, which is the one that I did at all my live events that year. So I was, you know, I knew exactly. I'd honed that little drawing. I knew it was quite, it was simple enough for a four, three-year-old to, to do, you know, as well as, you know, 12-year-olds, they would like doing it. So I had that one down pat. So I recorded myself doing it. I did it about three times because I wasn't sure. It's just, you need to just sort of find the rhythms and things. So I did it about three times, finally did it. And I put it up online, put it on my website and up on YouTube the next day. And it just went crazy. It instantly went crazy to the point where I was on news at 10 that Thursday, <laughs> you know, and I'd, it's very hard to explain, but it was, it's thinking back now, I think, God, it was a bit like a, it was like a weird fever dream. I was just suddenly, <laughs> it really was weird. I think I was on Radio 4, I was on BBC Breakfast. I mean, people just went, it was really, it's really weird to think about it now. And it seems very obvious now that it was the right thing to do. And lots of other illustrators, when I did it, it's quite funny. Suddenly, lots of other illustrators started doing the same thing because I think it was so obvious that that was what we had to do as an illustration community. It was a really easy way that we can help people out. But I guess because I was the first one up, um, my num- my all of my numbers seemed to be much bigger than everyone else's because I guess I was the first one. You know, it really is that simple. Again, it was a good idea, but it was all about timing. Again, there was a lot of luck involved. And um, I think all the... Well, to give myself a bit of credit, I know how to, I think I've got a nice tone with children, probably because I've got so many of my own. It's like, you know, when you have a birthday party for one of your, for your, for your daughter, you know, at your house, you might have 30 kids suddenly in your house and you have to try and keep them entertained. And I've done a hell of, mm-hmm. I've got three daughters, so I've done a hell of, hell of, hell of a lot of that. And, um, I think that translated well to the video stuff. And, um, yeah, and I have not changed it, the formula at all since that first video. So I've done 50, I think I've recorded 52 or something now. And I noticed a lot of the other, I do think a lot of the other illustrators that maybe didn't get this, the same numbers, they, they sort of, I think they put themselves front and centre. So they introduce, they sit there and they talk to the camera for a few minutes first. And I just think, I don't think kids are interested in me. They just want to know what I can draw. They're interested in what my hands can do and they like watching me draw but you know so there's little decisions that I made sort of almost subconsciously I think just worked the videos I shoot them in one take pretty much but I was having to I was putting sound on I was as I said making title sequences and doing a little bit of 
I was making little previews, little teasers and editing stuff together. Very, I mean, I, I'm talking to somebody who does this for a living, so I feel slightly embarrassed, but I was doing very kind of rudimentary kind of edits and, you know, working out, you know, I was doing cuts, uh, trying to get, you know, I've done, a, when I've made teasers and stuff, I sort of learned how to sort of do cuts in time with the music and all that's, you know, basic kind of stuff. But I've really, really enjoyed it to the point where I'd like to, like to some, somehow take it to the next level you know, but I just don't have time at the moment, unfortunately. But hopefully in the future at some point, it will be something I can look into a bit more because I really do enjoy it. Just seeing the kind of the face of it, on the face of it, you know, Draw With Rob, it's a great idea. It's so simple. And yeah, you seem you seemed very well placed to do it, to be honest, because um, you're, I, I guess, I guess your work is, there's a lot of animals in your work, right? Which always translates well I think to kids doesn't it and drawing and almost there aren't any rules of proportion especially when you're doing dinosaurs I suppose you know those proportions and and there is no wrong way of doing it because it's not a doesn't exist anymore well that's exactly it that's 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 a really key element actually because um you know I always say in my videos if you make a mistake don't rub it out don't screw the paper up and throw it away just keep on drawing because actually often it's those little mistakes that are the nicest part of a drawing, you know, those little imperfections. Um, so Draw With Rob is what? That's twice a week, is it, at the moment? At the moment, it's twice a week. But funny you should say that because we're getting now... I decided when we got to the beginning of the school summer holidays, I sat and thought about, right, should I stop now? You know, I, the idea was to do it during the lockdown period, pandemic, and lockdown was slightly easing at that point. But then I thought, actually, no, during some holidays, that's probably when kids are really going to need it because, you know, not many people are going to be going away, really. So I should keep it going through the summer holidays. Um, but then next week is the last week of the summer holidays for my kids anyway. And um, so I am going to change. I'm going to stop doing it twice a week. At the moment, it's Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm going to go down to once, one, once a week and I'm going to start posting them on a Saturday morning. So it sort of becomes a Saturday art club. Because loads of schools started doing it. That was really good. It was part of the school. So in the, in the first instance, it was part of homeschooling. But then when school started to go back at the end of last term, it became part of their kind of weekly curriculum to do. Um, lots of schools were sending me pictures of the whole class holding their pictures up. So I think it was quite... Lots of teachers said it's a really good way to teach them the rudimentary basics of... Um, of drawing and just to get them to develop a, li- a liking or a love of drawing when i get to 100 i might have another rethink which would probably be around about springtime next year and we've got another and also because we've got these draw with rob activity books which have proved to be unbelievably i mean i would say by far my most popular book that i've ever done which i don't know if that is a good thing or not but like it was a sunday times number one bestseller and you know got to number 14 in the amazon charts out of every book you know crazy popular and um first one's out now and still doing really well the second one is going to be a christmas one which comes out next month i think october which is a really nice one it sort of um covers all aspects of christmas so right you know the first thing is you it's got a little template to write your letter to father christmas then kids can design their own decorations for the tree and it goes right through to kind of thank you letters and that kind of thing so it's a really nice one and then we're going to do another one in that's going to come out next spring so that will probably tie in with our 100th episode of draw with rob so then i might reassess 
it's a big undertaking. It really is. It takes up a lot of my time, but I love it. How did the Guinness World Records um, Art Club or Art Show? What is it? Art class. Art class. How did that, yeah. how did that happen? That was I was approached actually by um uh by um a group of a group of people who um who just thought it would be a good idea to do to do this um to have a go at this world record attempt. They set up a little organisation called Art World Records, um and they uh they just thought I'd be a good person to front it. So I can't take the credit for coming up with the idea of doing it, but I'm um, actually it sounded to me like a really fun a a really fun idea, but b we raised over fifty thousand pounds for um for covid related charities in the process of doing it so um it was a really fun thing to do but but it was really i I actually from a selfish point of view thought i really it'd be really interesting to see how you put together something like that from a technical point of view because it was very it's very difficult to do actually we did it live on youtube so we actually YouTube were involved in the whole process. So I had loads of, in the month leading up to it, I was basically, because we were in lockdown. So I was on my own in my, the studio. So I had to learn how to put it all together. I had backroom team doing bits and pieces behind the scenes, but I basically had to make sure the whole thing worked. And um, the nearer we got to it, the more nerve wracking it became because there was lots of, we did we did lots of little trial runs on YouTube. We sort of had these closed sessions, trial runs. And let's, honestly, I'm so glad we did that because there were so many little gremlins, little bits and pieces. Things like not having, we, you know, we had the comments on in the first instance and it soon became clear that actually we couldn't have, you basically can't. If you're doing anything for kids, you just can't have comments on because there's always some strange people who get involved. But it was also just little technical little things like, you know, how am I going to know how many people are doing you know how many people are doing it all this kind of waiting rooms all that kind of stuff so it was really really interesting from from that point of view um and uh and also i had to in order to get the world record we had to have people had to be tuned in for i think it was half an hour and so that meant we had to almost be broadcasting for almost twice that length in order to ensure that you had people in that sort of people might tune in at the beginning and leave early but then you know you had to have this sort of crossover so also it was like I it was an exercise for me because no one else could talk so I had to keep the whole thing going and when I do my regular draw with Rob videos there's points when I'm doing the coloring in which is actually quite tedious to watch because I'm just coloring and there's not much to say to the kids so in my videos I go into you know fast forward mode and put music goes up a bit and you know but this was live so I couldn't do that so I had to you know, there's lots of other stuff that I had to work out how to make work. But it was such a fun process. But it was it was quite stressful because we needed something like 16,000 to break the world record. And um, and loads of they, they, they basically had people sign up beforehand. So we would have a decent idea of numbers. And we had like 65,000 or something sign up. But you don't know how many will turn up on the day. So I remember sitting there and had my phone set up on its little kind of tripod looking down. And I could see on the screen how many people were in this YouTube waiting room waiting for me to start. And it was about 10 minutes before and there was something like 2,000 people in there. And I was thinking, oh, God, I've given this the big build up. I'm going to break the world record and it's just going to fail miserably. And then literally in the five minutes before, then it was like a it was like a film or something. The numbers just went and they went up to something like 60,000 in that five minutes. And then something else kicks in. You, I, I'm, I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm an Arsenal season ticket holder. I just pictured the Emirates Stadium, which is 60,000 people, full of people watching me do this 
live drawing in my little shed in the garden. And then you start to think, oh my God, this is, I don't know, can I do this? And it was funny because I had um, I had an earpiece in and I was talking to one of the organising ladies, Willow. And um, so she was talking in my ear and it, um, she's going, right, I'm going to count you down. You need to press go in 10 seconds, 10, 9. And I said, I've changed my mind. I'm not doing it. <laughs> and she absolutely, <laughs> it was really so funny. And it was so, you know, when I first start talking, I think I'm still laughing actually. But um. But yeah, it was full, it was really fun. It was really fun, and um, we got an amazing, amazing response. In the end, I think there was about I think I can't remember what the number was. Was sixty five thousand people or something? But we smashed absolutely smashed the world record. Actually, it was sixty five thousand laptops that were tuned in. So the chances are it is at least mm. at least double that amount of people because you know there'll be parents watching everything. And um, yeah. It was fun. It was really fun. I've got a, I'm a world record holder, isn't that? It's that, is, that is that is amazing. Yeah. What did uh, what did it teach you about kind of using YouTube more? Um, well, I guess uh, how have you found YouTube as a platform, and you know how have you kind of how have you learnt from your experience with it? Well, I found YouTube first of all. YouTube has been an um, it's. I found it really easy to use, set up my own channel and customize and all that kind of stuff. Um, the guy that actually was helping us was amazing. He was so amazing. And so I, I actually think I've just kind of skimmed the surface of the stuff you can do, but um, it's, it's very straightforward. It's very easy. I've got, you know, I've worked, you know, there's things that I've learned how to do subtitles and, you know, I've got ads on there now and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's very straightforward, but I guess the thing, that I learned more than anything is the value of live, of live video. And it's not necessarily, I've done a few little bits of live stuff on YouTube, but I've done a lot more on Instagram, Instagram live. But it's because I did that world record thing live and that, that instant, kind of, instant kind of call and response thing is, um, is hugely useful in terms of publicizing yourself. Once you've got, I mean, it helps now that my numbers are quite, they're not massive. You know, I've got something like, I don't know what it is, 40,000 or something, the Instagram followers, um, but it's big enough so that when I go live, lot, there's quite a lot of people there and lots of people kind of interact with me, which is quite, which is really fun. For things like the Draw With Rob book, when I put a little film of myself showing people the book on YouTube or on Instagram Live, you can see how that translates instantly from a commercial point of view. Literally, I would put that video up and by the end of that day, my book had sold, you know, it had gone up. 300 places in the amazon charts you know literally it was it was really interesting i said to my publisher oh my god i feel so powerful you know you literally have this direct relationship with your customers i guess um that you don't have via any other means you know i feel like you know i'm officially i'm an influencer now i've had come you know since then i've had lots of companies ask you know i've promoted various products for companies and they're big company. I've done a thing with Paramount Pictures with Sonic the Hedgehog. I've done stuff for Adobe, um, Photoshop stuff, um, quite a lot of charity stuff. Bernardo's I did a big thing with Waitrose, John Lewis. So it's, I think it's just tapping into a medium that can deliver quite a lot for not that much effort. If you see what I mean, mm. it's yeah, quite, it's, yeah. it's very, it's very immediate kind of, kind of um way of communicating with with people especially if what you you know a big part of draw with rob is me i guess i I know i might not be front and center on the screen but it is my kind of personality it's the way i talk to people 
um, that seems to go down quite well with my audience. So what better way to deliver it than via a video, a video platform? The only thing that's a bit strange about it, I think, is that there is YouTube Kids, but you can't, you just sort of get put on it. You can't apply to go on it. At some point, they deem your content worthy of going on this YouTube Kids platform, which mine hasn't yet. And I'm kind of thinking, well, if mine isn't suitable, what the hell is? Because it is literally the most kid-friendly thing ever. But anyway. So any plans? Well, I, I kind of got the impression that maybe this is a touchy subject, but any plans to take any of your stories into moving image? Well, I, I, I will say yes. There's a couple of things in the pipeline, but they make they you sign these things and you're not allowed to tell anyone about them. But yeah, there's a couple there's a there's a couple of very exciting things happening. Um, maybe I might tell you about off air, but I can't tell you about. I can't unfortunately I can't tell your um your listeners about it right now. But yeah, there's um yeah it's super it's super exciting and um it's a real golden age actually for children's books at the moment, mm. particularly in this country. There's loads of unbelievably talented people um out there and i think you'll see in the next i mean these things they take a long time to make these things but i think you'll see in the next two three four five years um lots of um of my contemporaries um will start uh their work will start coming out and, and as um, as moving uh images and i think that's it can only be a really a really good thing Oh, well, good luck with that. Thanks, man. That sounds exciting. Definitely wanted to hear about that. <laughs> How annoying. How annoying for everybody. So, yeah, you mentioned some, you mentioned kind of working with some brands and stuff. I mean, I know that you, you know, you've done that in the past in, in another life, probably. Um, if, uh, if, if from your experience, you know, what are some things that brands and businesses can do to use video effectively? You know, like is is live video one area that is you could see that being useful for, say, a small business who is promoting its its, you know, its wares or its kind of its personality, its story. Um, I just wondered if there was any insight that you might have in that sense. Well, I don't see how it can it can do any harm at all to try it. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's a no. To be honest, I think it's a total no brainer for pretty much any business to kind of use this. You do, I mean, I mean, if you've only got fifty followers, then maybe I could, you know. But if you've got any sort of following on social media, why would you not show them exactly what you do via video? I mean, everyone you look at anybody in the street, everyone's looking at their phones. Just get on that phone, you know, even if it's only for thirty seconds. Weirdly, we're getting our um. At the moment, we're getting a loft, a loft converted in the house, and the company that are doing it are all over the video. They're all over the video stuff. I was sitting here in my studio because I can see down there in the garden and working, and I just saw a, a drone hovering above the house, and they're filming everything on their drone and they're putting it up. I don't know if it's live, but it's certainly up on Instagram and their YouTube page, and it's it's brilliant for the construction industry. I mean, amazing stuff, real time stuff. People who are making decisions are going to be able to see exactly what these particular companies can do. And the work that I've done with various brands through Draw, Draw With Rob, they've, I mean, so I did for Paramount, I mentioned earlier, they, for the Sonic the Hedgehog film, they got me to do a Sonic draw-along. And it was a, what a brilliant idea, I think, for them, because they're literally engaging the kids in their product um, for 
for an hour at a time, a full hour at the time. And at the end, they have a link through to the video. I mean, I imagine every single child probably hired that video, uh, or, you know, downloaded that video afterwards. So it, it totally makes sense to kind of, to kind of work with, I hate, I don't like, I don't really like that word influencer, but if they're in the right field for your company, why would you not do that? We, I did another brilliant one for um, Virgin Racing uh, Envision um, and Formula E Racing. So it's the formula, it's the car racing that's eco-friendly. So it's all electric cars. And I did a, they did a brilliant thing where they got me to show the kids how to draw one of the cars very simply. And then they got, then I, as I always say, I say, right now it's your turn to be creative. You know, we've drawn the outline together, you colour it in. And they turned the winning, They so they got all the kids to enter, do, do the drawing with me, colour their cars in, enter them into a competition, and they turned one of their cars into the winning design that one of these kids did. And it was, it's amazing. It's such a brilliant thing. It's easy for them to do. It's really easy for them to do. It's cheap, you know, and it really totally engages, brings a totally different audience into their into their product because it's not just for my market it's not just the kids but it's the parents too so um moving image is uh, in this day and age i would say an essential market to get into for every single company you need to be doing it you used to be in the olden days print advertising you know that was the place to be you needed to get an advert for your company into a magazine or into the newspaper or whatever now you need to get it onto people's phones don't you? That's, that's as simple as that. And if you don't have a, you don't have some kind of video content, you miss it out. Well, it's it's true. It's kind of like one of the reasons this this podcast exists, trying to help people with, you know, getting on board with their video um, strategies, etc. So thanks for that. Wise words. Um, okay, so this is going to be going into our scrub forward round which uh, is if you don't want to answer, you just say scrub. Okay. All so right. video, video nasty. What's the worst habit you see people practice in video? I mean, this could be anything in your opinion. Um, the worst habit. Oh, do you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to scrub forward. You're probably better place to tell me, you know, I'm sure there's some terrible habits that people do. I would say again, as going back to what I said right at the beginning, or I mean, people who don't think about the experience, from the user's point of view and a bit too kind of indulgent you know those long kind of tracking shots that go on for 30 seconds come on this cuts the chase a little bit it's nice to have a bit of that but like yeah i would guess overindulgence is what my yeah. would be <laughs> unless you're like sam mendez who you know who does tracking shots quite well yeah he's on he's all right maybe i'll let him he can he can keep doing them um so for you i guess this could be illustration or um or video what techniques and software well i do my my all my illustration stuff the vast majority is all is digital but the way i do it is try try to make it not look digital so i've got you know i've got a great big old one of those big old whack on tablets that i draw straight on the screen and i've got a, a myriad of photoshop brushes that replicate real life art materials um so the reason we do it dig- digitally is because it's much quicker and, you know, we have to make tweaks and changes and the publishers need things on different layers because so we can, you know, take out the English text and put in the Russian text, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it's a love, to be honest, it's a lovely way, it's a lovely way of working. So Photoshop, InDesign, so all the Adobe suite basically, um, plus a Wacom tablet and some nice art, digital pens and stuff. Um, uh 
And then, yeah, in terms of the video stuff, I've already told you, I think, it's <coughs> iMovie <laughs> is what I do all of my bits and pieces on. And a very simple microphone, which I've got clipped to me right now. And that's about it. And an iPhone. There we go. Pretty straightforward. Sounds good. Um, and Blackwing 602. Oh, yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the art equipment I use. I'm very particular about that. So yeah, I use the black wings. The pens I use are all made by a Japanese company called Kurataki. And I have, um, in fact, that is the question I get asked more than any other by the people who watch my Draw with Rob videos. What pens do you use? So I'll say it now again for the 900th time. Kurataki pens. I use, um, a Mangaka flexible, a Bimoji feud and a, uh, Sumi. They're the ones I use. I use Lamy pencil, colouring pencils, and Prismacolor colouring pencil. I've got very, you know what it's like. You, you, you know, the equipment you like is the equipment that you would probably use for your whole life. So I'm very particular about my art materials. You do, unfortunately, I find certainly with, with colour stuff, you get what you pay for. So I do, the Prismacolor pe colour pencils are quite expensive, but they are amazing. And I use Schmincke watercolours, which again, are quite expensive, but they're just on point always curious to get recommendations and i'm sure other people are too uh play pause stop one thing you always do one thing you sometimes do and one thing you should never do i'm not very oh my god it's suddenly i don't know if you can hear that it's absolutely tippy is it raining oh, where you are? okay i thought it was t i thought it was a train yeah no, no it's heard, absolutely I heard the rain tipping it down wow yeah, one thing I always do, I'm not very, I always take, so when I finish my day's work in the studio, I always put whatever I've been working on onto my phone and then I spend all, the rest of the evening on and off just looking at it, just looking at it. And it's always pretty much always the last thing that I look at at night. I'll be lying in my bed. Just before I go to sleep, I'll have a look at the work I do. And it's become an essential part of my creative process, actually, because a lot of those I mean, some you know, if I I might not look at it for an hour or two, and then when you come back to it, you suddenly see all the things that are wrong with it. So that is something that I always do. I I can't. I find it very hard to finish work. I find it very hard to to le let something go and say, right, that's done. That's really interesting. All right. Well, something I sometimes do. Sometimes sometimes I like what I've done. I would say, but not that often. Most of the time when I finish a book, I absolutely hate it by the time I finished it and I think it's rubbish. And then it might be by the time it gets printed and then the book comes back to me, I sort of have come around to it again. I quite like it, but it's quite rare that I actually like something I've done. But I think, again, that's that's very common with creative people. It's part of the moving on to the next thing, isn't it? I, I'm never very satisfied with what I've done. But then I guess if I was, I would never, you'd never change, would you? So um, there we go. Something I never do. Well, you should never not listen to if you're especially if you're, you're a creative person, you should never not listen to other people's opinions. I've been guilty of it in the past where I just think I get you get a bit at a certain point, certainly my magazine career, I was a bit kind of bullish about me always knowing better than everyone else. But actually, um, invariably, you always need at least one other person's opinion on matters creative, I find which is why I really like working with my art directors at HarperCollins because it's just nice to have somebody else to bounce ideas off. And um, often, more often than not, I will, I, will, I will have an argument with them about something that I think needs to not be in there or needs to be in there. And I virtually always concede to them and they are always right. They're always right. By the time <laughs> that book comes back, I always think, 
do you know what they knew what they they they, they have that distance that you need i think sometimes so i think you always need you always you should never not listen to other people give us one secret illustration tip don't put any expression on your characters faces if you're trying to draw a little cartoon character keep them neutral and um you you tell far more tell you can say much more with a neutral character's face than you can with a big mugging smiling or frowning face definitely if you look at some of the best children's book illustrators that there are people like Oliver Jeffers or John Classen um their characters just look like this they don't do anything they don't there's no expression on their faces they're usually just two dots for eyes yet there is so much expression in the drawings so a neutral expression i think it's something to do with the fact that children can project their own emotions onto a blank canvas and um it just works so much better i mean not always sometimes you have to put a bit of expression in but certainly for my age group don't put expression on characters faces there you go little tip it's very good so rob what's next for you i've got i i i'm in this weird position where i have my life sort of planned out for about the next three years i literally know i have these wall charts until 20 in fact i think i know what i'm doing till 20 on on and i've certainly on i've got a wall chart up there till 2024 um and i know a bit what i'm doing after that um so i've got i'm contracted to, to do one picture book a year with harper collins and i know i think what my next three are going to be already um and i'm also the, the thing that i'm really excited about um at the moment is i've written a uh, a slightly older children's book so like harry potter age you know a chapter book um and that is being published by macmillan and that's coming out in about a year's time um and i wrote it about a year ago so it's a very different process for me it's a much longer lead time you know the book that is out now the picture book that out is out now i only finished that in february or march so it's a much quicker kind of lead time but this one yeah, it's very different. It's a totally different process. It's going to be illustrated, but, you know, black and white sort of spot illustrations throughout. So it's very different. It's much more kind of words focused. You know, it's a proper 50,000 word story. But um, I really liked, really loved doing it. And it's one of those things I create uh, about, as I said, year, year and a half ago, I had a bit of time in my schedule. So I had to go at it and without a deal, without knowing if I could do it. I see. I quite like sort of testing myself to see if I can do things, and um, fortunately, people liked it. And you know, I had we had a lo- we had a big old bit old big old auction for it actually. So um, uh, so that's I'm super excited about that, and I'm actually about to start doing the illustrations next week actually. So um, so yeah, that's great. And as I said, the things I can't talk about, I've got those bubbling away underneath, and I've got some nice. I think I've got about three or four books coming out between now and Christmas. I've illustrated, um, you know, Michael Bond, who wrote the Paddington books. He, uh, he's got another range. Well, unfortunately, he died a year or two ago, but he wrote about, um, another group of characters called the Herbs and the Herb Garden. So there's a character called Parsley the Lion that I just, I think he, there was a TV show just before I was, was born, late sixties. Or maybe maybe around the time that you and I were born in those early seventies. My wife remembers it. I don't. Oh really? So yeah, she's see, three I'm... years older than me. Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah, Ali, mm. a bit older than me as well, and she remembers it, but I don't. So it was just before my time. But um, yeah, Harper Collins are. We're doing. A, I'm illustrating a new version um, of that, which is coming out in November, which is a really lovely. They've made a really nice, you know, full color printed hardcover. Um, it's again, it's a sort of chapter book, but it's that's. 
that was lo- I mean lovely to do. I mean, talk about genius. I mean, this guy is amazing, and the characters are so beautifully drawn on the page that it's easy for me to just turn them into pictures. So I've got that coming out, and of course, more draw with Rob that's ongoing, and you know, loads of stuff going on. And um, the only thing that's missing in my life at the moment is the live stuff because obviously that's all had to shut down because of COVID. Um, although I am this Sunday, I'm doing a virtual event for the Edinburgh Festival, which is really fun, which includes like a live signing afterwards. I don't like buy a Zoom. I think they're sending the books to me and I'm going to sign them, <laughs> show people on Zoom. But um, usually I'd be out and about touring this book uh, in the next few weeks. You know, I'd be going up and down the country and maybe even overseas, but um, that's not happening. So that's a bit of a shame. But then I guess it gives me time to concentrate on other stuff. But yeah. I've got loads of stuff, loads of stuff going on. Don't worry, I'll be bombarding my social media streams with it all, so nobody's going to miss anything. I apologise in advance. Um, Cool. Well, how did people connect with you? Um, Well, you can find me on all the socials. I'm on Twitter, at Rob Bidolf. Instagram, at R Bidolf, because there was another Rob Bidolf. Can you believe it? (sighs) Cheek of it. Um, I'm on Facebook. Rob Bidolf Author is my Facebook page. Um, I'm even on TikTok. I'm at Rob Bidoff on TikTok. I don't even know what TikTok is, but my kids said I should get on TikTok. Um, so yeah, you can find me everywhere, everywhere uh, on social media. And I'm um, at, uh, if you go to robbidoff.com, it's my website and everything is there that you ever need to know about me. Far too much information, but you know, hey, what are you going to do? Oh, and, and well, on YouTube, brilliant. of course, YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Rob Bidolf or Draw With Rob and you'll find my channel. There we go. Amazing. Well, thanks so much, Rob, for joining me and for so much insight into your working practices. I can't wait to see what's next and especially, you know, seeing your creations in Moving Image, which is, you know, obviously going to happen at some point. So, yeah, really appreciate it. And thanks for talking video. Oh, man, thanks for having me. It's been nice to see you again. Old friends catching up. It's been good fun. Thanks, man. Cool. So take it easy. Thanks, man. Well, a huge thanks goes to Rob Bidolf for that brilliant interview. Really appreciate his time. Now, the show notes are on videotalks.co forward slash 19. All the other episodes can be found at videotalks.co. So check those out. There's loads of content for businesses who are starting to use video. Loads of stuff to look at. Uh, You can connect with me on Instagram at andy.greenhouse or video talks podcast so if you haven't already subscribed please hit subscribe because that will really help me continue to bring you these episodes and these interviews with people um, around the area of video Uh, and please check out my other podcast square one which is scwair and that's about starting from scratch so check that out If you'd like to connect with like-minded people, um, I run a free group which is called The Mentor Exchange. It's about people talking to each other in this kind of tricky time. So we meet up every every week. And if you want to come along and join that, then just go to mentorexchange.co and check us out there. So I hope you enjoyed that episode and I'll see you on the next one. Cheers.